uh, your Bibles open if you've got one, uh, or, or some point of reference to Luke chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to get this thing going, and then we'll get into it. Well, as we think about reaching the city with the good news of Jesus, uh, there's some challenges that are before us. Uh, challenges with, with evangelism, that, that word of we want to share the good news with others. Uh, uh, three challenges I want to address. The first one is that many people, they don't want to hear it. And I wonder if your experience, you've had this, or maybe as you uh, watch the news, you know, people kind of Rather, Christians just keep to themselves. You know, that's good for you to have your personal faith. But, you know, we, we don't want to hear it. Um, but I, what is it that they don't want to hear? Because I think many people, they don't want to hear the kind of impersonal, judgmental tirade of a, of a church. But in my experience, they're very interested in hearing your story and knowing you. And we'll get into that in a, in a bit more later. The second challenge for us is that the church has an image problem. Uh, in the last many years, a lot of evil and wickedness has been done in the name of Jesus and under the church. And so when people think about the message of the church, they're associating it with this image problem. And that's not good news. That's not something I want. And the third challenge for us, I think, is that we've been relying heavily on people and programs to do evangelism. It's kind of the, the cultural way of doing that. You know, the, the professional from the stage does the evangelism and I just bring my friend along. That's, that's what I do. Um, yet what I believe is that the gospel and the spirit of God is much bigger than what the church can just do programs. Actually, it's deeper than that. So I wonder how you feel about evangelism. I know for many of us who are Christians, it might surface a bit of kind of our guilt or, or expectations that we just can't feel we meet up to. Or maybe you're not a believer with us here today and you think, okay, this is a bit much. You're talking about maybe evangelism to you just sounds like kind of shoving something down your throat. Uh, but what I want us to do today, and part of my heart to reach the city, is for us to consider uh, a missing piece, and that's hospitality. I want us to consider evangelism and hospitality. And we're going to do that by looking uh, at this part of Luke's gospel. Uh, if you read through the book of Luke, most of the time Jesus is either on his way to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's just been from a meal. So much of his life is around food and hospitality, his ministry. And we're going to take a look at that. And what I want us to see today is that Jesus, he came to save sinners. That is the good news. And he invites us to join him in it. And so I'm hoping that we will be moved with compassion towards outsiders, that they might meet Jesus. That's our heart. And that's my prayer for you this morning, is that we will be moved with compassion as Jesus has towards outsiders, that they might meet Jesus. Uh, let me pray for us just as we come and open God's word. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much as we've already prayed and we've worshipped you this morning. You are worthy of all our praise. And so, Lord, I just pray for your leading now that you would give us open hearts uh, to grow and shape us, that we would be your disciples. Like Levi here, we would follow you. And, Lord, you uh, would move in such a way that many more people would come to, know, um, come to know you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Luke chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 27 again. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. The first thing I want to talk about today is the invitation from Jesus. The invitation, Jesus says, follow me. A couple of things I want to note about this invitation. The first thing is that this invitation is indiscriminate. Uh, if you know anything about uh, the world of uh, the Bible when this was written, tax collectors were not popular people. Uh, they were considered your outsider, those kind of, they were your traitors who were cheating the system and taking money from you. So they were not liked people. They were unworthy. But Jesus doesn't see that. In his indiscriminate invitation, he invites Levi. And I love that he meets him where he's at. Levi sitting at his tax booth. It's not as if Jesus kind of waited for him to come to a meeting. He didn't kind of wait for him to get his life all together and then come to church and then, okay, now you can follow me. Jesus comes right to where he is, right to his tax booth. And there he says, follow me. He sees this is the good news of the gospel is that it's not, discriminate as if you deserve it and you don't deserve it. It's the grace of God that it's the invitation to anyone, no matter your background, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you kind of fit in or don't fit in, the invitation from Jesus doesn't discriminate. It is for all and it is free for all. Now, the second thing about this invitation is that it is an invitation to a way of life, a way of living. It's an invitation to imitate Jesus, to follow me, to come with me, to share my heart, to do what I do, to join me in this mission. Uh, in another gospel, as Jesus invites Peter and John, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's an invitation uh, to come and join him in his mission. And his mission was to seek and save those who are lost. And so as we follow him, we don't just believe in him. He didn't say to Matthew, believe me. He said, follow me. Come with me. Come do what I do. Share my heart. You see, a better word for discipleship might be apprenticeship. We come under Jesus and we, we see what he's doing. We join him in what he does. So that invitation is a way to a way of living. And the last thing is it's the invitation that's worthy of it all. It's worthy of it all. Look down again, verse 28. Levi got up. As he looks at Jesus, he realizes something, that this is worth everything. Levi got up, left everything and followed him. So compelled by who this man was in front of him, he saw in the eyes of Jesus true life true redemption, true hope, true healing. And so what he did, I'm going to leave everything and follow him. A whole life reorientation. An invitation that's worthy of it all. And so my question for you this morning, have you accepted his call? Are you following him in this all-in adventure? And I wonder what you might be holding back. Maybe you think, I'm not good enough. I don't really have the skills to do this. I'm just kind of happy from just looking on. Whereas Jesus is saying, come, follow me. It's all in. 
It's all in. But I think this is interesting because it's not as if Levi leaves his world. It's actually the very, look at the very first thing that he does as he applies this invitation from Jesus, the context by which he, he lives out this call as he puts on a barbecue, he puts on a great banquet. Let's read from verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. It's the second point of my message today, the banquet. The banquet. You see, Levi, as he lives out this call from Jesus, the first thing he does is not to just, as he says, it leaves everything, but he hasn't left his tax collector friends. No, he puts on a meal for them. This is how he does it. Maybe the Aussie equivalent, he gets saved, he fires up the barbie, he starts turning snacks, and he's looking for mouths to feed. This is hospitality as he does mission to those around him. So I want to talk a little bit about hospitality and why that's important as, as we look at Levi's example. Uh, what is hospitality? Uh, maybe like me, you think about that fancy napkin folding on, that you leave on the table like a little swan or something special. Or oh, hospitality is just about cooking. It's all about cooking a meal and you think, well, I, I'm a terrible cook. Maybe you live by yourself and you just think, I don't have any food to offer. Uh, I can't do hospitality. It's not for me. Well, what I want us to think about is that hospitality is actually far more than just cooking and napkin folding. And the Bible gives a much deeper picture of what that looks like. And so I've got a definition for you. Uh, Hospitality is welcoming outsiders as equals into our spaces, honoring their journey and serving their needs. Welcoming outsiders as equals into our spaces Honouring their journey and serving their needs. So three things I want to highlight there. Welcome, honour and service. Welcome. Romans 15.7 says, Welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. As Jesus has invited us indiscriminately, so too we might welcome others into our homes, into our spaces. A second thing, honour. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, We regard no one from a worldly point of view anymore. Paul's writing this letter to a church in Corinth. And he's saying, as the love of Christ compels us, we don't see people in the same way anymore. Rather, out of honour, we see people in their journey and their stories and we care about them. We care. That's honour. And thirdly, service. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, you may have entertained angels. And the very next thing, it talks about showing hospitality. He then says, Visit those who are in prison. This kind of service to those who are in need. Service. So that what that might look like for you, it might mean welcoming someone into your space and having dinner with them. But it might also mean that for you, you love coffee. And so you take a friend out for coffee and that's your space and you honour their journey and you serve their needs. Or maybe you're a bike rider and you love cycling and so your space, you might welcome someone in and you might take them on a bike ride. And honour their journey and serve their needs. Maybe it's going for a hike. Just because you can't cook doesn't mean you can't do hospitality. So hospitality is so important for our mission. Are three reasons I want to give you why you should think about hospitality. Uh, the first thing is about moving people from superficial to meaningful in a private consumer world. Think about what hospitality does. Moving people from the superficial 
you're talking about the weather and the tennis and everything, to meaningful. And I think as Christians, we have a lot of meaningful things to talk about, about life and about the purpose of life and about the brokenness of life too and our separation from God. I mean, these things are meaningful. And what we want to do is we welcome people into our spaces, move people from superficial to the meaningful. And how important in our day and age where we've got very high fences, we do so much online and we're just disconnected from people. What hospitality does for our mission is about moving people from superficial to meaningful. Uh, Secondly, it's about moving people from hostile to open in a sceptical world. Hostile to open in a sceptical world. And it is true that when we talk about the exclusive claim of Jesus as the only way to the Father, that our life is full of sin and brokenness that separates us from Him. People don't like that message and we'll be hostile to that. But what hospitality does is that it moves us from hostility and and a barrier and scepticism to an openness to say, actually, these people really care. These people really believe this. They live it out. And suddenly less sceptical. I want to tell you a story of a woman named Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Great name. Uh, If anyone's got a child on the way, consider Champagne as a middle name. Awesome. Uh, And I tell you this story not as just kind of some uh, illustration, uh, but it is an illustration, but uh, I've I've used a lot of Rosaria's uh, thoughts and teaching uh, to form some of my thinking in this message. Uh, So I think it's really relevant. Uh, But uh, Butterfield was a, um, she was a feminist scholar in the 80s. She was part of the LGBT community. Uh, She was adamant against Christianity and its its message. She was part of a lobbying group against it. Uh, And she worked for this university. Uh, She saw Christians as these kind of privileged, bigoted, judgmental, uh, religious people but had no power to answer her questions of suffering and abuse and meaning and identity and purpose. She, she saw them in this way. And Christian programs for her just weren't going to cut it. If some evangelism came to town and said, you're a sinner, in her thinking and kind of postmodern Russo thinking, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'll define what is good and, 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 and bad, thank you very much. And how dare you talk to me that way? So Christian programs just weren't working for her. But something did change in her life. Uh, She wrote to an editorial against um, this group called the Promise Keepers. This is kind of Christian movement in in America at the time. And uh, someone actually replied to her and invited her to dinner, happened to live around the corner, this guy called Ken Smith and his wife. Uh, And she thought, well, part of my research and, uh, you know, kind of lobbying against these people, sure, I'm going to show up. I'll show them. I'm going to come to this dinner. Uh, She comes along and Ken and his wife just loved her, just opened their house, had a meal, answered her questions, and at the end said, hey, why don't you come for dinner again next week? She's like, oh, this was actually kind of a nice experience. So she came back again, and she came back again. For about a year, she had meals with this family, and over time, her, her heart softened and opened towards, actually, Jesus does answer my questions of identity and meaning and purpose. And actually, I do need him. And as she saw Jesus, she realized that he truly was the Son of God. And she says this thing. She said, the hardness of the truth, and there were many things for her to confront, hard things, hard realities from God's word to, to, to come to terms to, with. 
She said the hardness of the truth had to match the hardness of the relationship. And, and not the hardness in the sense of the harshness, but in the sense of the solidness of trust. And so those hard truths had to be matched with the, with the hardness of trust and, and relationship. That's why I think hospitality is so important, moving people from hostile to open in a sceptical world. And lastly, about hospitality is important to our mission because it's about moving strangers to neighbour in a divided world. Moving people from stranger to neighbour in a divided world. And boy, don't we live in a divided world today. I know some of you experienced this even in your own lives recently. It seems to have heightened this us versus them. I don't need to tell you all the different kind of camps and, and tribes that are forming. Particularly, I think social media is the antithesis of hospitality. It accentuates and, and, uh, and resonates these divisions and oppositions. And so uh, Rosario Butterfield says this. She says, what trips up Christians is this. Too much time waging war with people and ideas on social media and too heavy reliance on church programs to filter strangers Weeding out the creepy ones and bringing to your table the nice and safe ones. This post-Christian world won't stand for it and we shouldn't either. And she says this, Get close enough to the stranger to put her hand into the hand of the Saviour. Get close enough to the stranger to put her hand into the hand of the Saviour. Moving people from stranger to neighbour in a divided world. And this is exactly what Jesus did. You see, Jesus didn't just have a message, although it was a message. He didn't just send an email. He didn't just kind of from the world just look back and th think, I'm going to send my angels with this message. Now, Jesus came to this world. The Son of God would humble himself to take on human flesh, to come close, to get dirty, to love people, to touch people, to care for people. This is the ministry of Jesus. It was good news, absolutely, but it was his life. It was with care and compassion that he came close. It's the same as what Paul talks about when he writes the Thessalonian church. He said, we were delighted to share with you the gospel, and not only the gospel, but our lives as well. That's why I think hospitality, welcoming outsiders into our spaces as equals, honouring their journey and serving their needs is so important for us as we think about sharing this good news, reaching the city with the gospel. Uh, so let's think practically. How can I do effective hospitality, welcome, honour, service? Our first thing I want to say to you is listen well and empathise. I like to think of three things here understand, feel. Here, actually take the time to listen to people's stories. Understand, try and think about why do they think that way? Why do they, or why have they come to that conclusion? Try and understand their point of view. And then feel. A lot of people feel deeply. A lot of people have been hurt deeply. And if we can empathize with that, we're in a much better place to actually uh, share the good news with them. Listen well and empathize. Uh, secondly, be generous. I like that Levi puts on a banquet. Uh, I'm a big fan of food. I love going to weddings for this very reason. I 
banquet. And in, so too for our hospitality, we should be generous. Uh, thirdly, tell stories and testimonies. Tell stories. People are very open to listening to stories. Uh, I recently went on a uh, kayaking trip with a, a friend who's a work colleague. I used to work at a law firm. And um, uh, he, we sort of reconnected. He's not a Christian. And we went on this overnighter on the Koorong. And um, he knows I'm a Christian. And as we're paddling, he's, he's kind of talking about this experience where uh, a boat had kind of almost ran him over and she was shouting at him because he was riding close to the middle of the channel. And uh, he, he, said to, he said to me, Ollie, you need to teach me about forgiveness because I'm... Right now, I just want to get my metal out and, uh, and dose it on his boat and just light it on fire. And so I said to him, can I tell you a story? And no one ever says no to that. <laughs> and so I shared the story of the unforgiving servant, that there was a person who owed about 200,000 years worth of wages to his master, and uh, he begged his master for mercy, and the master showed mercy. And then that same servant who owed all this money refused to forgive his servant. And so we kind of talked about this story. Uh, and then later, in, as we're driving home, he's talking about, uh, he, we were talking about marriage and relationship. He's recently married his wife. Um, and uh, for him, the cardinal sin, the worst thing you could ever do, the unforgivable sin in his eyes was adultery, for cheating. He's not a Christian, and yet in his mindset, just cheating on someone is the worst thing imaginable. And so I sort of said that again, can I tell you a story? And he, he said, all right. He, uh, people are very happy to talk about it. And so I kind of said, oh, the Bible actually talks about um, uh, adultery pretty strongly too. And there's a story of a prophet named Hosea. Uh, and he was asked by God to marry and take this woman as his wife. There was a prostitute named Goma. And she just again and again continued to be unfaithful to him. And Hosea is just really struggling with this. And yet God said to him, this is how I feel. This is how, as my people have left me and turned their backs on me on other gods, this is, this is the wickedness of people. And yet his faithful covenant love to never give up. So just telling these stories. So as you consider hospitality, tell stories, tell testimonies. Uh, fourthly, introduce your Christian friends. Merge your worlds. If you're the only Christian someone knows, it's going to be very hard to see this as believable and real. But if they... If they meet other Christians in your life, they're much more likely to see that, wow, this is true, this is real. Uh, so if you're going out to dinner with a Christian friend this week, why don't you invite your neighbor along? Or why don't you invite someone from work along with you? And in all this, we've got to beware counterfeit hospitality. Uh, Rosario Butterfield, again, says this, counterfeit hospitality seeks to impress and entertain. Counterfeit hospitality separates host and guest in a ways that allow no blending of the two roles. It separates people into noble givers and needy receivers or hired givers and privileged receivers. Counterfeit hospitality comes with strings. This is really important. Christian hospitality comes with strangers becoming neighbours, becoming family of God. And so in your hospitality, I think this is a warning for us. Let's not do it with strings. But as we come back to our passage, uh, this didn't come with resistance. And maybe you too, as you consider hospitality or, or evangelism, in your heart, a similar objections kind of surface. Uh, look down at verse 30. But the Pharisees, 
and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There's resistance and objection from the Pharisees. You see, hospitality confronted their sensibility of who was an insider and who was an outsider. See, maybe they thought that Jesus was affirming this behavior. See, you're just part of the liberal movement there. You know, you're just getting caught up in that. It's kind of like, um, I don't know if you've had this experience of consider the green team that go down to schoolies and you think, well, are they just kind of condoning all this drinking and, and partying and, and are they just, you know, saying that that's all good? You know, they, they don't deserve the care that Christians should give to them. You see, the question is, can you honour someone and their dignity without affirming their behaviour? I think what the Pharisees miss and what we so often miss is that we believe in the image of God in every human being. That as God sees the dignity of his creation, that any person is worthy of redemption and worthy of love. See, people are not dignified by their behavior, but inherent in who they are. And I think the Pharisees neglected to see this. Instead, they had chosen to identify people as insider, outsider, worthy, unworthy. Saw them as enemies. And sometimes as, if you're a Christian, we can have this attitude of God loves his church, but he hates the world. And so for God so hated the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not die, but have eternal life. No, God did not hate the world. For God so loved the world, and we sung it before. God so loved the world. And yet quickly we can see the outsider as the enemy or the threat. We, you see, we've got to be so careful that we don't create these categories of insider and outsider. We should never expect people to be a good, conservative churchgoer before Jesus accepts them. And would we be willing to actually see the dynamic and culture change at church? Or are we only ever looking to evangelize people who are already like us? See, this is the challenge of hospitality and mission that sees beyond these resistance, sees with God's eyes. And this comes back to the why. How does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond to these Pharisees and their objections? He brings it back to the why. Why has he come? Look at verse 31. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. But why has he come? I have come that I might call sinners to repentance. This is the why. This is the why that Jesus has come. He didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to make us comfortable. He didn't come to just kind of categorize us and give us a new kind of uh, a category in a culture. No, he came to call sinners to repentance. And I think it's fascinating. And I think we miss this so often. Look at the illustration that Jesus gives for those who are lost. I mean, if you think about those who are the, the kind of those who are not part of church, those who are not Christian, how might you define them? Sometimes we can kind of consider them as wolves or, or the enemy or threat. Yet Jesus, his eyes towards those who don't know Jesus, 
he uses this illustration of the sick needing a doctor. Can you see the heart there of compassion? You see, the sinner is in need of healing because absolutely our sin separates us from God, that we are deserving of that eternal separation of his judgment and his wrath and his justice and his love to deal with the wickedness of our lives. But as he sees us, his posture towards us is is totally compassion. And as he sees us in need of healing and restoration, that's the heart of Jesus towards the outsider. This is the why of hospitality in mission because Jesus cares that there are those who are lost and apart from him and he longs to have him back in relationship. This is why Jesus came to die on the cross, that he would take that sin, take that brokenness, take that sickness upon himself, that he might deal with it, that we might be restored to him. You see, our motivation for evangelism, to share the good news is not so that we can prove everyone that we're right and everyone else was wrong. Our motivation, our heart is compassion. We care that people are far from God. We care that, that your cousin doesn't know Jesus. That the person you sit next to at work or in your uni lecture, they don't know Jesus. We care that that person in that country far away removed from opportunity to, to hear about Jesus. That hurts us as it hurts God. We, we, with compassion, we care that people are lost. And so maybe this morning, you might write down in your phone or in your diary or, or your notebook, who is it on your heart that the Lord is laying, that you care that they don't know Jesus? Are we following Jesus into banquets? I love as Levi, he accepts this invitation. The first thing he does is he puts on a banquet. He does hospitality for his friends and for the outsiders. He cares. And so to finish, I want to just give you three simple applications. Number one, accept Jesus' invitation for you. This indiscriminate invitation to follow me. And it's not just believe me, it's follow me. And that invitation, no matter who you are, no matter how much you find this difficult, I do too. Jesus, in his mercy and his love and his grace, he invites you to this, to this mission, to this heart, to accept Jesus' invitation to you. Number two, consider hospitality. What can you do? I gave some examples before. Maybe it's a bike ride. Maybe it's a meal. Maybe after work, uh, Maybe this time you do go to the after-work drinks. Or maybe you could invite someone uh, to come and study with you if you're, you're at uni. Say, hey, let's do study together. Invite people into your spaces. Consider hospitality. Consider making it a regular thing. Maybe for you, Tuesday nights is my hospitality night and you might just invite someone over. Consider hospitality. And thirdly, Uh, Quite simply, just ask to hear someone's stories. I think we would be so much better off in our hospitality, in in our evangelism, if we were quick to listen, quick to understand and feel and have compassion for people and in those spaces be willing to share our stories. And we can. We can do this because Jesus has not left us. He said, as we Lawson read for us before, with you to the very end of the age. 
as we go and make disciples. He's filled us with his Holy Spirit that we can do this. And I loved hearing the example of Wayne and Anna because that's just so relevant. So relevant to open our lives, be willing to share and have compassion for those people. So we do this in the name of Jesus. Let me pray as we conclude. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you've invited us and uh, you've, you haven't just left us um, being separated from you, but in your compassion, Lord, you've called us, us as sinners to repentance. And so, Lord, we just receive that invitation and we come to you now humbly. There's nothing of ourselves that we can offer uh, that's worthy of you, Lord, but we just give it all. Lord, help us like Levi, to have the courage um, to leave everything and follow you. And Lord, we do pray. Lord, would you give us the same heart of compassion to see the crowd harassed and helpless without a shepherd. Lord, that we care that people are lost. Lord, I know that in my heart I can be apathetic and cold. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd renew in me a heart to see many come to know you. And for this church, Lord, I pray that many more people would come to know the saving knowledge of the truth of King Jesus as we join you, Lord, in what you're doing in Adelaide. Partner with you in this incredible journey in this lifetime as we want to see many more people come to know you. So, Lord, give us courage. Give us faith, give us humility to open up our spaces, Lord. And I know that there's so much in us that resists that. So I just pray that you lead us and guide us by your spirit. So we thank you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.